the ISA's Arbor Views podcast, a series bringing you conversations with researchers and tree care experts about current issues in arboriculture. I'm Mark Hartley, your host, and on this episode of Arbor Views, we have Mike Raup. Dr. Mike Raup is an entomologist, the bug guy. Hi, Mike. Good day, Mark. <laughs> so, uh, you're down here in Australia and you're an entomologist. That's uh, fascinating. There are obviously insects all the way around. Oh, the world. It, it's spectacular to be here, Mark. Yeah, you guys have some wicked good bugs down here. We've been impressed already, and I can't wait to get out into the rainforest and chase some of these buggers around. So, uh, we do have some interesting bugs, and yeah. we've sent some of them over to you yes, in we the have. past. Yeah. Um, how how uh, critical are invasive species? Yeah, you know, invasive species, uh, to my way of thinking, are, are probably one of the two biggest challenges facing arborists right now. The other, of course, is the process of urbanization. But let's talk about invasive species for a minute here. I think all countries around the world are facing this in, in an ever-increasing way. And this a lot of people think this is new, but it really dates back to the 15 and 1600s when new lands were being settled. Wow. And uh, our first pest in North America was the codling moth, which actually came in 1635 with European settlers. Uh, Things really kicked off, though, in about the 1860s, when we got steamships that could cross the oceans in, in short periods of time, and this was a period of colonial exploration. This was a period when folks from every nation went to other parts of the world to find new trees, ornamental trees, to find new crops, and this is what opened the doors for these bugs, because when you move plants around, now you're going to move bugs around. So the first kind of wave between uh, that early time and uh, the present, we we saw many new pests. Beetles, for example, came in with the ballast of ships. And then during the period of plant exploration, that's when we saw the scales come in, the hemiptera. And these guys were treacherous, if you can imagine. This is when we had the first big flood between about the 1890s and 1930s in North America. We got many, many new species of scale insects that fed on trees and shrubs. After that, shortly, we saw a population or peak in aphid activity. And again, for the same reasons as crops were moved around the world, That was followed by the caterpillars and some of the other guys in the 20s and 30s. And unfortunately, right now, in the period from about 1980 to present, we're seeing the redistribution of phloem-feeding insects and borers. These are these egregious things like that eucalyptus longhorn beetle you mentioned. This is the era when the emerald ash borer has hit North America and things like the Asian longhorn beetle. So unfortunately, as this tide or this changing pattern has shifted, we're in a very, very unfortunate time when we're having a redistribution of very deadly phloem feeding and boring insects. So do you do you think there's an opportunity for us to control that, monitor that, manage that? Where do arborists fit into that scheme? Well, I think uh, the, some of the most important things, and we're seeing a lot of good progress in this, I think with our increased training activities, our diagnostic capabilities increasing, and simply trying to, to get our, our arborists uh, to recognize new species, to take note of things they've never seen before, the last two detections of emerald ash borer we, we had in the Washington uh, metropolitan area back in the States actually were made by arborists who had attended some of our first detector training. 
They knew the symptoms to look for, and by golly, when those things showed up, they found them. And that's great news. So I think we're getting better at detecting these things. And arborists, of course, uh, are going to have to deal with the aftermath of these introductions, aren't they? Because this is where it comes home to roost. We're the ones that are going to have to fix these damaged ecosystems and try to make them sustainable again. So how do you think we should go about fixing them? What are some of the suggestions there? Well, I think one of the critical factors that's happened is, uh, for whatever reason, I'm not going to point fingers here too much, maybe a little bit, we've had a tendency to, to lack the good sense to diversify our urban forest. I think if we look at natural forests and the way they function ecologically, they work because Mother Nature's plan was for diversification. What often happens, and we've seen this over and over again, haven't we, with things like the Great American Elm and Dutch Elm disease. Well, the lesson there was to be that we would diversify our urban forests, but guess what? We simply replaced the wonderful elm trees with things like ash trees and maple trees. And what this did was set up shop for the Asian longhorn beetle, whose favorite food is indeed uh, maple. And we set up the table for this emerald ash borer thing. So we don't seem to be able to learn our lesson in the great urban forests, at least in North America, that really diversity is the key. So the greater the, the tree diversification that we use, the, the less susceptible we are to a, an outbreak of importance. Exactly. What, what I call this is catastrophic loss. In other words, if you have 100 trees planted and they're all the same species, if we have a new pathogen, if we have a new insect that's able to arrive here, and if those trees lack that evolutionary history, in other words, if, if those native trees have just never seen this exotic pest in evolutionary time, that pest has the upper hand and it will decimate them. And this is why we saw the great losses of our beautiful, beautiful elms and also the, the current loss of our ashes and maples. But if we have 100 trees and instead of 100 of one species, it's 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, even if a new pest comes in that can attack those 10 trees, we've only lost 10, not 100%. And this impact on an urban situation in a city is, is far less. So the urban environment's fairly contrived. What other parts of that urban process are impacting on trees in terms of entomology and the way that insects are interacting with the environment? Yeah, this is, this is a critical thing. Uh, uh, one of the biggest threats is the low diversity, the low biological diversity. Uh, basically, our food webs become very, very simple. In other words, if we have a single species of host, a single species of producer, a tree, and then we get a very egregious pest on this, oftentimes it won't have the natural enemies. It won't have a complex food web. So our cities tend to have these very simple food webs, and this means that oftentimes there's a lack of natural enemies. There are simply not enough natural enemies in our deep cities to be able to regulate the populations of the pests. So pest outbreak, another factor, one of the most I would say the most critical factors in the city is the impervious surface. The impervious surface creates basically problems with water infiltration. This creates drought stress for our trees and cities, and this is one of the biggest predisposers to attack by these very, very deadly bores. Tree stress, 
borers come in, they can take these things out. It also creates a heat island. As cities warm, it may actually advantage the insects because now they can complete more generations. So scales, spider mites, many of our hemiptera can develop much quicker. This allows them to cram in more generations, do more damage. The other part, back to the natural enemies, because they develop much more quickly, the natural enemies have less time to attack their vulnerable stages. So they basically hustle through their vulnerable stages, and this may reduce the effectiveness of the natural enemies in controlling those populations. So as arborists, should we be looking at doing things like leaving some logs behind occasionally for habitat, using some mulch, some of those sort of things? Yeah, this is a fantastic idea and actually one that they've uh, implemented uh, in places like the UK, actually recycling, leaving habitat for things like our ground beetles. What a wonderful idea that would be if we had more refuges and, and places in deep urban habitats to provide these overwintering sites, not only for the, the beneficial insects, but also things like our pollinators. Many of our native pollinators use the same kind of sites as these uh, predators do to spend the winter. And the other part of this, of course, is the greening of our cities, the diversification. And in every quarter, things like our urban parks, even little... Um, little plantings around trees along city streets with flowering plants may provide refuges and alternative food sources. You see our natural enemies, while the immature stages of ladybugs and lacewings might eat meat, the adult stages need nectar and pollen. So if we can increase the biological diversity, flowering plants in particular, this may really, really benefit the natural enemies and help make our urban habitat much more sustainable. That's excellent idea, excellent information. As, as a, an arborist, often I don't feel that I have a very good knowledge of, of entomology. Where do I go to get some more? Is there a... a, a don't ask me, Mark. <laughs> I feel the same way. I don't know. I'm just well, a piker here. Are there any, any good books that you would recommend us just to start to get a feel for the language? I mean, we talk about silly words like oligophages, monophages. Oh, sure, sure. Well, the ISA has a wonderful series of books. One of my favorites is, uh, of course, their IPM Guidelines book. I've just finished publishing a book myself. Uh, it's called Managing Insect and Mite Pests of Woody Landscape Plants. And this is a primer for how to implement integrated pest management in uh, urban forests and such. So there are wonderful books out there. You can find them on the Internet. You can find them right down in the ISA bookstore at the website. So great places to learn more about bugs. Thanks for that. And lastly, would you encourage us as arborists to get out there, there more and look for the trees rather than just feeding that branch to the chipper? taking that extra few seconds just to see what we can see. That's how we're going to find these things, Mark, absolutely. Get those eyes, focus down, learn those little bugs, and you're going to see them. It's a whole world out there. It's a tiny world, but an important one. Mike, thanks for spending the time with me, and thanks for coming down under. It's really it, appreciated. It's always a pleasure, sir.